Hello and welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level. To interact with us, you can always catch on Facebook or YouTube. Love seeing you over there. Um, if you chat with us live, your chat may even show up in the show. So that's pretty cool. As always, if you can't catch us live, you can always catch us later on your favorite podcast app. You know me. My name is John Ruark. I'm a past master of the Patriot Lodge, number 1957, in Fairfax, Virginia. Next up for his introduction is Robert Johnson. Hey, Robert. Howdy, howdy. Robert Johnson here, past master, Waukegan 78, current sitting secretary over at Space Novum Lodge, 1183 in Libertyville, Illinois, and the host of the Whence Came You Masonic podcast. And if you understand my lower third, then uh, cheers to you. 50K of bananas. 50K pounds of bananas. It's yeah. a lot of bananas. Yeah. yeah I'm trying to get yeah. the reference, but yeah. I'm slow tonight. Uh, it's gonna- a deep cut you probably you probably <laughs> probably won't get it without some i'll, I'll get it at like 2 a.m or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome well i know uh some of the go up a little bit later but we'll get rolling in tonight's episode so before we do definitely always shout out to the patrons who support the show you guys are awesome thank you very much and uh, as always, if you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash Sonic Roundtable. Do some background uh, group, all sorts of good things. So we'll see you over there. Awesome. Terrible. Missed last week. So um, good conversation about um, two. Work on and uh, is my internet going in and out? What's going on with that? Just a hair. All right, we'll see what we can do about that. While we, I'm going to get up my trusty chair deck. This one is the what do we got? The Bones Arcana. This is right off of Etsy. Uh, and so we have uh, the two best things in masonry the tarot and skulls so we have a skeleton themed deck here so let me pull this week's card in no particular order and here we go let me switch cameras to zoom in we have boom the page of cups look at that yeah so uh we got some feminine energy with the uh the cup suit page a trump card, but low, low on the totem pole. Got emotions. We got like new, new emotions, new love, uh, new endeavors. Right. It's you're, like you're a kind beginning of a, kind of into. It's like the dipping yeah. of the toes into uh, some sort of. Uh, Divine feminine wisdoms. New spiritual quest, maybe something like that. Yeah. Or maybe 
it's time to try for a new baby to the topic maybe maybe not not here no not for you all right so yeah hopefully you can see some parallels to that to this week's topic all right so this week's topic is specifically on the allegory of the cave that relates to uh plato so uh while i go check some technical stuff robert why don't you go ahead and give a brief overview Sure thing. So we have a brief overview of the allegory of the cave, which uh, if for anybody who's never seen this, let me pull up an image for you. Uh, let's see here. We'll use maybe this guy and I will present the screen. No, I won't. Uh, okay. So imagine a cave. Inside the cave, there are people. They are chained inside the cave, and they are facing a wall. And uh, behind them is the way out of the cave. And these people, their entire lives, are staring at a cave wall. And the shadows that are cast on the wall from the outside world the outside world, of course, the sun is shining, people are walking by, people are transacting business or doing whatever. And those things look mighty strange to the folks who are actually in the cave. They have seen something different than perhaps what is actually happening. And so the allegory of the cave is uh, Plato uh, has... Uh, essentially said that uh, there is the ability for the philosopher to step outside the cave to view what we might term objective reality, the truth. Uh, if you've ever seen, let's say, the Flammarion engraving, uh, the guy who is looking beyond right the uh, the circle of earth to see how the machines and the heavens work. Uh, in this sort of way, it can be somewhat... Uh, related. But I think what's really important about the allegory of the cave is it speaks to uh, the human's quest for knowing more and also at the same time a, uh, a sort of apathy about wanting to search for more, a settling, if you will, for what is easy to understand. And then even a third part, which we sure will get into, which is uh, necessarily the return. Uh, let's say you're the person who's chained up inside the cave and you escape and you witness the world and you want to come back to rescue your friends from ignorance. And yet there is violence uh, imposed yes. upon you as a bringer of what we might call objective truth. Yeah, there you go. So that's, that's a good overview. So we find this, uh, <clears throat> this allegory in Plato's Republic. And uh, if you remember your spa, S-P-A-A, -A, you had the lineage of teachers of Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and then Alexander the Great. So we're now at the P of spa, where Plato is now uh, using this uh, 
the characters of his brother, Glaucon, and his old mentor, Socrates, and telling this story of this back and forth between this mentor, Socrates, and, and Glaucon. And it, it alludes to some of the other allegories that are made throughout the Republic, but again, if you read it on its own, it still stands alone. And basically, the um, the premise is, and I don't know if you can even try to get a, a different graphic up or if your screen share is going to work, but um, you, the premise is that you have, uh, imagine if you will, that there was a cave that you know reaches, that has a hole that reaches up towards the sky, uh, but otherwise, it's a dark cave, and people have been born and grown up inside of this cave facing the back wall, right? Not towards the light, but this back wall deep into the cave. And all they know, they've been chained up where they're, they're facing the wall. They can't turn around and their whole life. They've just been facing this wall and lo and behold, someone behind them is projecting shadows, silhouettes um, through a fire. And then they hold up little puppets um, that silhouette onto the wall and they say this is a horse and they say a horse go by it's really just a shadow of the horse um they might see you know another a person walk by but it's really a shadow of a person and uh, not even a real person it's a it's remember it's a puppet but over time because this is all you know you're facing this wall you associate that thing with that that form that shape <clears throat> okay so your whole life you've learned that these forms on the wall are those things and then he posits, well, what happens if one of those people break free from their chains and turn around and look behind them? Well, first, they're going to see the light from the fire. It's going to blind their eyes. They're going to be like overwhelmed with their senses. And after they adjust with that, you know, shocking, jarring uh, change in their attitude, they're going to say, wait a minute, that's just a puppet of a horse that's been walking along that's just a puppet of a of a person and so it's going to hurt their head i mean if again if it's all you've known is this one thing and then you find out it's all been fake it's all been false then there has to be some sort of internal transformation that has to go with that right it's going to hurt to say wait a minute my whole understanding of life has now been turned upside down um, and we see this like i think for a lot of us we see it um when uh, in movies or things like this, you, the idea of Plato's cave is uh, kind of contemporary, contemporary uh, like renditions exist in films, let's say, right. when um, the small town kid goes to the big city and then he comes back home. Oh, you're just a big city boy now, right? Like huh. this whole idea, right? And this is kind of the animosity that can happen. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think for folks maybe uh, in the real world, mm -hmm. I'm sure we've got listeners out there, people who are watching this show, who went to their first year of uh, an associate's program or, or any higher learning outside of high school, right? Right. 
where, uh, you know, the classic thing that I think people love to rip on are like first year college or college students, grad students. Uh, they take their first philosophy 101 class or the, my favorite is the first political science class. <laughs> and then they come home at Thanksgiving break and all of a sudden, you know, we, we have our brothers. I, I hear about it all the time in Lodge. I'm just so scared. My son's going to come home and he's going to do nonstop talking about politics. He's going to be the expert, blah, 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 blah. He don't know nothing. And right. But this kid actually has now formed likely uh, a, a much more objective sense of what the true reality behind some sort of uh, thing up for discussion could be than his parents maybe ever did. Right. Unless your father right. or somebody is like, you know, an accredited, you know, uh, professor of some sort. But this is like a real world example of, of the cave is when we kind of go out and we try to come back. Right. And it's really not always met with the best of, uh, well, sometimes people just get mad. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Cause we haven't even feel like, cause you're, you've talked about then exiting the cave. Right. So, it does take, you know, a certain kind of individual that would then keep going. Right. And once their, their mind's been blown, then they see the exit to the cave. They see that they can actually climb out of the cave and see what a real horse looks like, what a real person looks like, what the sun looks like. And that just, again, opens their aperture, both literally and figuratively to what they've experienced. In life. And I think one, something that is really interesting about this is, when that anger comes back, you had said, this is like, it hurts your brain and things, right? So you escape. And in Plato's allegory, he talks about, you know, the blinding light of the day outside of the cave. And then actually, there is actually a, a new blindness that forms uh, of, of, for the, we'll call them the illuminated individual. Mm -hmm. So the illuminated individual, you who has stepped outside the cave and you want to come back, well, no longer, right? Can you even see in the dark? You're no longer um, like uh, what? <laughs> I'm losing the the uh, the the, uh, the creature, right? We had the Eloy who lived above ground, and then uh, oh, geez, the time machine, H.G. Wells. Anyway, oh, yeah. So then you have the, the, the folks who live on the underground. And the problem is now you can't see what they see anymore. You're physically changed. Right. You have physically and mentally and psychologically evolved outside, fully outside of anything that can be now witnessed or viewed or anything by whoever you were with in your cave, your friends, your, your colleagues, your peers, without them having to have that experience that you've had now you're the blind one again they're upset with you and they think you're an idiot or whatever the case is and actually it meets with violence and yeah Plato's cave right he talks about this i think that's fascinating actually this kind of terrible thing that happens which is the attack on anything that comes into the cave once something has come in to threaten right yeah, because I mean that's again that's all they know. They've not had that transformation, and you come back and you're like, More hey, guys, this is amazing. You should see. You should really check this out." And they're like, "What are you talking about? Like that's not you know what that is not it at all." And don't try to change my point of view. 
which sounds familiar, right? When you have a lot, a lot of the dis discourse we have where you have, may have an opposing viewpoint and someone's like, I don't believe it. Stay away from me. You're wrong. I'm not going to, not going to listen. You know, that it, it really, it, it is met with violent resistance when you try to come back and, and like free, free someone else. It's a beautiful analogy, right? I mean, it has its flaws, right? It is absolutely without question oversimplified. But it gets the point home that right. there's there's more for us. That there absolutely is uh, more out there. And it's hard to really talk about, I think, the allegory of the cave without thinking about these ideas of, of things that we've talked about a lot of on this show dealing with perspectives, uh, because that is primarily kind of one of the, the modicums that we learn about and, and from other people. And we grow as people by learning through these perspectives that others give us, which are of course, subjective experiences. And right. Right. So the subjective in the cave, how do we, uh, justify or uh, what have you, uh, the objective, what could be outside the cave. And I think this is something that we should really define. And uh, the statement is that objective reality is true because it's based on facts, not opinions. Mm -hmm. And further, we'll say it's an accepted truth that exists, this is the key part, that exists independently of any individual belief or opinion. Right. So it's an um, impartial view of the world that isn't influenced by a personal feeling, belief, like, or desire. Or to paraphrase, facts don't care about your feelings, right? That's right. <laughs> but um, perhaps we have an issue with this today, right? Like yeah. Oh, yeah. in a practical sense, Freemasonry in America right now, I think around the world, uh, there are multiple, what I might call propaganda machines working against facts. Um, you know, you see people all the time talking about don't trust the media. Um, and there's, there have been some really interesting shifts or even um, remodelings of Plato's cave. Uh, if I can find it, I will share it, but it's basically the modern Plato's cave. And there's I think like I've seen that, that graphic. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta dig that up. All right. I'll find that. Um, so while, while you're looking at that, an another thing too, is like, okay, let's bring this back to Freemasonry. Right. So why are we talking about the allegory of the cave on a Masonic podcast? And, you know, many brothers have written papers that, that align, some of the concepts, right? Specifically, like the, the most obvious one is in Freemasonry, we are brought from darkness to light, right? That is a clear metaphor and allegory that we use as part of the craft to transform someone from, you know, during the ritual, they are going from physical and, you know, um, metaphorical darkness into light. So they're going to come out on, on the other side with a different perspective. They're going to have uh, things shown to them that they had not seen before, the, the esoteric parts of the craft. And so um, hopefully they will not reject that. They will not fight it. They'll not be blinded and dazzled by it. You might, you might have take a little while to get your eyes adjusted if you're ever brought to light. But um, the fact of the matter is, is that hopefully 
you will leave that lodge meeting. You will leave that degree with a different perspective than when you came in. That should be the intent and purpose of the initiatic experience. Right? I absolutely agree. I think that, you know, we actually had somebody, uh, Brother Kenneth Beeler, check this out. He said he was going to do a paper on the hoodwink, and our brother told him he should put the allegory of the cave into it. Uh, cannot uh, disagree with this. Bingo. I, th right. I think this is a, a prime example of how you can essentially uh, take a core concept in uh, what we might call what up it's Joe in, in objective sort of uh, philosophy and bring it into Freemasonry, which it is almost, we talk about being illuminated and like being raised right. to the sublime degree mm -hmm. of a master Mason. And in a sense, essentially it's almost like, you know, the, uh, the allegory of the cave has, of course, the leaving, but it has the return as well, which deals with some things that ultimately could translate, like that violence of the return could could translate into what even happens in the third degree. Yes. Yes, I know I'm late. And I was actually, so, spoiler <laughs> alert, I was... I was watching Facebook now does really good closed captions. So I was actually watching you guys with the closed captions on. So I, I saw the to, comments. I was like, wait a minute. How I, was trying to keep up. I was trying to keep up. I'm the secretary, <laughs> so I have nothing important to do, but um, I'm so glad you guys didn't touch on the, the return to the cave part yet. Um, because that is, I think that's one of the most important parts of Joe's the jam. allegory, right? Um, oh, that's my job. That's your jam. Oh, it is my jam, the return, right? And um, I think, Robert, I think I saw you, the closed captioning said that you were talking about how um, how you're blinded again by, you know, once you see the sun, you know, first you see past the fire and then you see past the sun and you're blinded by the sun, right? And it takes time. But I think the most important part of the allegory, and you guys have touched on it so wonderfully tonight. Um, I'm really bummed I was late. Um, the, uh, the return, um, and everything that Plato puts in there is done for a very specific reason, right? Like he, you know, nothing is just arbitrary, right? So when he talks about when Socrates is talking about the story of the cave and he returns, he's blind again, right? He's yeah. blind because his eyes cannot, uh, you know, perceive the darkness anymore because he's seen, you know, the real forms. Did you guys talk about forms? No. Not yet. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. So, uh, but yeah, so he's blinded again. So when he goes and talks to the people that are still chained behind the, you know, the alcove there in the cave and all they see are the shapes, uh, he's not coming from a position of power, right? Like, Hey, I see all this stuff and this is cool. You know, he's kind of bewildered and he's blind and he can't see anything and he stumbles and falls. And so he doesn't have a lot of credibility going into, uh, the cave to talk to his, his former peers, you know? Yeah, and I think that's, um, and again, even trying to translate that, trying to describe this abstraction, right, where uh, it's kind of described, if you want to think of it as um, an abstraction from the material to the intellectual or the enlightened or the, you know, the, the super abstract. Uh, again, if you try to come back in and say, hey, you know, that's, that's not really a horse, that's a shadow, and everyone's going to be like, what's a shadow? You know, what, I mean? what do you mean? I, don't, I have no concept of this because I, I only see the material. I only see the physical. I don't see this 
broader concept of mathematics and forms and and ideas. This was an interesting one, Brother Eric Schultz pointed out, right? The challenge of knowing whether we truly left the cave or just entered another one with different puppets. Cave uh, part two. You know, this is really a, a wonderful segue into thinking about what um, this kind of enlightenment uh, can cause in terms of the the people who have not yet gone through this sort of uh, awakening or uh, what have you, right? This is uh, the idea that, uh, of course, there's the anger that they, they could have with you and all of these things, but uh, thinking about the, uh, what we want to call like uh, affluence, um, a form of, like, is educating yourself a form of elitism is coming back down to grab your brothers and bring them out even a good thing um and then further there's this whole idea of the modern concept of plato's cave which is essentially uh what anybody who is online watching us right now is doing except the light is in front of you we're just making sure you see what we want you to see right and this can be true with any set of narratives that it, that exists out there because of uh, everybody's ability to, you know, throw puppets on the wall now. So we have a greater responsibility uh, now to to try to be objectively true, I think. But then there's the the arguments of those folks who are still consuming. Right now, we don't really know uh, in the modern Plato's cave what is true when we're looking at the same light you know what i'm saying it's like you what who's who's casting the puppets i don't like fox's puppets i like cnn's puppets or npr's <laughs> like there's all these kind of things or you know i like the light shadows or, mm -hmm. yeah right and so for through various things whether that be you know or, or religious organizations our uh um systems of higher learning or YouTube channels, right? Like you, you touch on something really amazing in that you were, when you first started talking about, you know, the guy coming back into the cave, you kind of get the sense that, you know, when this person is returning, the enlightened or the illumined person, he's returning and he's starting to explain to his former homies uh, what the real world is like and what real forms are like you kind of get the sense that he's talking to people that are, you know, in doubt or in denial, or, you know, they're just apathetic to this. It's like, ah, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, man. A horse is that black thing with the, with the squiggly things. And that's what he is. And, um, but if you really read this story closely, you start to see that these people are responding from, and this is where it started to pop into my brain. When you started talking about the political part, they're all coming at him from a place of fear right? They are scared crapless of what he's talking. They're like, no way you're shattering my world. Like the world is not what you're saying. And everything that I know is now, uh, you're attacking it. Right. And so it's, it's definitely, and like I said, when, when you were started talking about news channels, I'm like a lot of people when they're faced with things that attack their preconceived notions, which is what those people in the cave are, right? It's not knowledge. It's a preconceived notion, right? And that's all that they've known. 
that's how they respond. They respond with fear and they respond with anger. And what do they end up doing to the dude? Um, you know, if, if we're getting to the end of the cave, you know, they out of fear and they anger, they kill the dude. You know, they're like, yeah, we don't like what you have to say. And they smash him with rocks and he's dead. And they go back to their, their living in their, their, with their cave forms. So, but yeah. And, and all that comes from that is stink. Well, yeah. <laughs> so when we think about, so you said something else though, just now, Joe, that, oh, this is a, that dude, that's a classic, uh, 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 painting. I've seen that before. I think in one of my art classes, which made me uh, a, a veritable expert after one semester, Boom. you know, just saying. Um, so something that you said, Joe, was it's their preconceived notions. Now, is their preconceived notion, like, when does that stop? When do we stop compartmentalizing or when can we stop categorizing something as a preconceived notion and, and instead know that it is it, right? Like what is subjective? What is objective? Well, right? if, yeah, if you were asking Plato, you know, he'd give you a really long winded answer, right? Because everything is just different levels of forms, right? Even the, the word, the way that we experience the world today, it's form driven. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, you know, the, the short answer is you may never get to the ultimate concept of reality because we're limited. Right. And to get all science nerdy, we're limited. Right. We can see how much of the electromagnetic spectrum this much. Right. Even though there's this much of it, you know, mm -hmm. um, for those that love. Um, ooh, ooh, somebody just made a flat earth comment and my brain started smoking. So we're going to leave that one there. And don't you dare put it on the screen. So, um, <laughs> but um, no, you, you, I, again, re re reading and rereading the allegory of the cave is interesting because the answer to your question, Robert, is, is right there. Plato specifically says none of these people are born in the cave. They're born out in the outside world. And at some point when they're very, very young, they're brought into the cave. And he says that for a reason. Right. So they've had the experience, even if they were just babies. Right. So they've experienced the real, you know, now I'm sound like, starting to sound like I'm in the matrix. They've experienced the real, mm -hmm. uh, but they were forced into that cave. And that's you, where those, those you're going to put me back in. Right. You're right. going to wipe my memory. You're going to put me back in. Right. Steak. Ignorance. Well, I know this steak bliss. isn't real. Yes. <laughs> right. I'll go for fake steak all day long. And all day long. Yeah. 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 That's right. I'm not, I don't know how good the food is on the Nebuchadnezzar, but it can't be that good, right? What was it? They were just eating sloppy and yeah. oatmeal kind of this tastes protein, like protein, oatmeal stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was like grits at a Waffle House. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what causes somebody then to return to the cave? Why would you go back? Well, no, I want to know, right? Yeah. If we're not born in the cave, how do we get in there? How do we avoid going into the cave in the first place? Well, well, I don't think, everyone's done it. I don't think we have it. Oh, <laughs> that's the way it's always been done. Uh, no one had a choice, right? If we're going to go back, you know, if we're going to sure. use the matrix analogy, and I don't know if you guys mentioned it before, but the matrix revolves it. around the allegory of bingo. The cave, right? yep. it's, it's spot on. Yep. And which is awesome once you think about it. But um, yeah, I, none of those people, just like the people in the matrix had a choice. You know, yep. they were there from, as infants, right? Yep. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. So you don't have a choice. You start off in the cave. Everybody starts off mm -hmm. in the cave. 
Now, now one thing I, I think it's fascinating too is once you take treat it as an allegory, right? And whether you want to argue it's it's describing platonic forms or whether it's describing enlightenment, you start to see it apply in other areas as well. All right. So so one thing that I've seen like professionally, right, where um I'm like a business process re-engineer as well. And I find efficiencies, right? And you can do everything to say, I have a ton of data that shows this is much more efficient than the way you're doing it. And they're like, we don't believe you. Like, well, well, wait, it's not a belief thing. Like, why don't you see this? This is, this makes perfect sense that you should be doing it this way. And it gets met with resistance. Like, no kidding. We've had this conversation, you know, with my coworkers saying, it's like, it's like this allegory here where not only are they not embracing this change, they, they can't wrap their heads around it because they only know this one way. They've only been looking at this, the cave wall and they got their whole career done by looking at this cave wall. That is a horse and that my career depends on it. My paycheck depends on it. And if you show them a better way, it's just, it's in, it's inconceivable to them. <laughs> well, this was the uh, a really interesting thing. You know, we had a workshop, I don't know, it was many, many years ago uh, at my current company. And they, of course, right, they put all of a black belts in a room and uh, they, they said, okay, we're going to do this exercise with everybody who isn't a black belt or isn't Lean Six Sigma. And I, listen, I'm not an LSS like guru or anything. I went through the I went through the trainings. I did the thing. I got my certs or all that. But you're right, John. <laughs> People don't believe it until you show them. And the classic example was a video we showed them, and they said, "No way!" And huh. we put them in a production line. Yes. And basically, it was. It does. Uh, here are the letters. Here's twenty letters. Yes. Twenty envelopes. Here is one pen, and I want you to basically uh, write all of your addresses, set them aside. I want you to fold all your envelopes, put them aside, right? Like they're doing these batchings. Correct. Yeah. Instead, we said, well, what if instead you did the envelope, you folded it up, you put it inside, you sealed it up, and you sent it on down? One at a time. One at a time. If you did that, mm -hmm. we cut the time by around six seconds. It's amazing. And they were like, how did we do that? Oh, right, right, right. That's and funny. This was, we were like, oh, now you see the light. Okay. So, <laughs> but it's because, just, because you have to like, you in, gotta, in the allegory, you got to un unlatch them. You got to turn their head around and show them the fire. You have to blind them temporarily to go, oh, ouch. Like now I get it, you know, and it's met with resistance. I, I do the same thing. I, I, uh, I built a, a Lego assembly line kind of game and I built delays and bottlenecks in there on purpose. And then when you, when you change just one little thing, they have to see it. Like they have to feel it, touch it, do it for them to go, oh crap. Like I've been thinking about this wrong my whole life. So it's, it's so true because we have an emotional connection to things. Right. Um, I think that's, that's, that's the other like unsaid part of this too, is intellectualism, abstraction, all these higher forms in this allegory. Um, it, 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 it takes some thought. It takes some, um, getting out of what, how we feel and to how we think. 
and and that's that's the elevation of the platonic forms as well as you get outside of the cave right but too often we're stuck even when we're we're going back and forth debating on facebook right we're stuck at this emotional level and we can't get out which again that's the point i kind of wanted to like round things out with was how do we avoid getting stuck in our own caves if we're if we're not going from cave one to cave two as eric schultz said isn't that all facebook is is just little caves we're just yeah echo chambers are, are caves for a reason right caves. <laughs> and then sometimes people will just leave their cave not look at anything run into someone else's cave and just start screaming and yelling hey! they have threat syndrome yeah absolutely <laughs> that's facebook but that's the thing is for me just to kind of get right to the point i try i'm not very good at it but i try to look at content that has an opposing viewpoint to what i believe i try to do it on a regular basis i'm not great at it but i try and i will and i'll even if i can try to find something as polar opposite not like adjacent to my idea i want to find something i let me hear you know convince me that this craziest opposite idea is true and let me uh, we've talked about this in the show too. Let me try to steel man it and let me see, how, can I understand your point of view so well that, um, you know, you would, you would believe it if I said it right, that, that it's something that, um, anyone on that side would agree with. A and so it's hard because you are forcing yourself to unshackle, turn around, face the fire and get a different viewpoint. It's going to hurt. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to hurt your eyes. Uh, but it's a it's a really good exercise to do every now and then. You don't have to buy all in, but if you're not exposed, if you're not unshackled every once in a while, you're never you're just going to start sticking to those shadows that you're comfortable with. I mean, to to that the whole time you were talking, all I was thinking about was how successful going back to you know the end of the allegory of the cave where they take Mister Enlightened Guy and they basically smash him with rocks until he's dead. How often do we in society are we successful by other people trying to tell us what that thing is or show us what that right process is as opposed to us like you said unlatching ourselves and then figuring it out on our own like what's that success level worth you know because then you're not one is all you and the other one is well somebody's telling me and i don't believe anything that john says because he's an idiot so and i move on so it's turtles all the way down. <laughs> oh my god! Nice. <laughs> it it is rather interesting. I think the way to escape the cave is not only uh, doing what you're proposing, John, which is to challenge your own viewpoints by looking for uh, contrary information. In fact. Um, when I get into a stupid Facebook argument, which I do often, I'm not above it. Um, the first thing I do when I want to put together a well argumented point, right? I'm not trying to win. I'm just trying to get the other person to say, Hmm, maybe, maybe what about that mm -hmm. is I, I basically say, why whatever it is i believe isn't real or isn't true right and then 
usually what happens is I do that. And then all I get is a bunch of like before it's news articles. And I go, well, shoot, I guess I'm going to win this one. Um, But it is so difficult, right? Like it's one thing to take a position in combative sort of uh, arguments online. It's another to challenge your own thinking. Uh, which I think we had a taste of probably in the last 10 years. Um, and it's, it's, it's gaining more acceptance and traction to examine our own lives and look at, uh, for me, I'll say for me, I'm going to use this caveat for me because I don't want anybody like yelling at TMR or whatever. You can yell at me, right? What are my intrinsic biases, what are my, Ooh. Uh, like, your priors, your biases? Those are all your shadows, right? Yeah, Those are all I, the things I, that you I, start I, with. Right? Right, spot on. I, I grew up in an Italian-American household. There was racist jokes and things told all the time. Right? That, as I'm growing up, forms a bias in my brain as you grow up and you expose yourself and you question why you think things you unlearn but acknowledge that you had that right and you need to be and it's like an honesty thing with yourself yeah. too. And so it's okay it's th- okay to let go of that mm-hmm. we are growing as people right, right. we are right we're doing the internal work which is you know, escaping yeah, the, the alt title for this Kinda. episode could be Freemasonry is the escape from Plato's cave. It should be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And again, that that's what, you know, you've heard us talk about for, for years now. It's, it's the, we're not trying to say we're better than any brothers. We're just trying to say that we're trying to apply the lessons and allegories of Freemasonry to make ourselves better, right? We take good men and make them better. How do we do that? We apply this so that we are a different person, not just after our third degree, but for the rest of our life, we are always continuously growing, searching for more light, having a different perspective, growing as a person, becoming a better person, becoming a better husband, father, brother, neighbor, right? Employee. And you do that through always going in and out of that cave, right? Just breaking those shackles, breaking those, those, preconceived notions and if you're not growing you're dying i mean i i think that yes you're right um and let me start with that so you don't of course i am not me that's right you're always right i i think when when i when i liken the allegory of the cave to to freemasonry i think we're at least i hope we're the type of people that will we'll stand up as we're in that cave and break that shackle off of our neck and get up and walk out, you know, whether we have to do it once or a hundred times, right? Because there's always, there's always different uh, understandings of the way that we think the world works and every single person and every single Mason is at a different step in that process. So I think we're, we're breaking out of that cave over and over and over again. But I think, again, I think what differentiates those who seek a path and those that don't, is that they're the ones that are willing to stand up and walk out of that cave, you know, for, for better or for worse. 
So. Which is risky. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. It, I mean, that that's not a small undertaking. I want to like double down on that because it is a risk when you try to join a society that's changing a perspective when you're you're getting out of your comfort zone when you have to ask to join freemasonry even right no one's no one's recruiting you like you have to say hey i'm going out of the limb here i want to be a member that that is the beginning that's the loosening of of the shackle around your neck is to say wait a minute i'm not comfortable where i am i want to grow and then of course after you know there's the there's the uh loosely attributed Mark Twain quote that I, I like to par- re-paraphrase for masonry, right? You become a mason twice, once when you're raised, and once again when you know why. And there are some brothers that just don't get to that second that second time they're a mason. They 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 go through the degrees, they they look at the ritual, and they see it as the exoteric. They see it as the the shadows. Oh, that's a cute little play. That's cool. You it, know, it really is interesting that you bring this up. Uh, Recently, shameless plug, WCY last week, I read a paper uh, by a former president of the Theosophical Society in America, and he talked about Freemasonry. And he talked about kind of these two divergent paths that exist within the craft, one being uh, those that believe in Freemasonry as a spiritual science, uh, a development, right? And the other who view it as an he is by no means being derogatory or, or no. talking down to, but saying the other is a, a very fraternal, social, and benevolent society. Uh, and not to downplay, he even gives accolades All to the amount things. of charity and things. However, he brings up the difference. And what I find interesting here, too, is, yeah, we what you just said, we have a number of brothers who perhaps don't always um, – want to loosen the shackle anymore. It's enough that they have acknowledged, oh man, there is a fire over there. I know I'm seeing some stuff on the wall and I'm going to try to imagine what's causing it, but I'm a little, I I like the party. I'm going to stay here. Yeah. I like the party. I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to leave just yet. Right. It, that can it, happen. It, it's, it's like those memes that we all see. And I think many of us have probably experienced, right? It's like the spiritual awakening, what people think it's like, and then what it's really like. And some dude crying in a corner naked in the shower. Ugh, right. Yeah. It, that is not, like you said, no small undertaking. No. Um, it, it, it brings to mind the image. You all seen uh, the, the, the uh, Chronicles of Riddick movies. I think it's pretty good sci-fi, but there's a scene where a dude decides he's just going to like walk outside and get obliterated by the sun. Oh yeah. 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 Right. Or, or Can- captain Canada uh, in sunshine when he uh, fixes the solar shield and gets like obliterated as he witnesses the sun. Like that's the kind of courage that this takes in, in like without a doubt. Yeah. And to your point, like, there are people who are at the threshold and decide not to go through with it. Right. Uh, because it is leaving a comfort zone and Holy smokes. Like that is, that's the most, one of the most hardest things is that first step is to get out of what's comfortable, what's familiar, what I've grown up with. Right. Um, to experience something new, to challenge my thoughts, my assumptions, my priors. Um, people just are, may not be comfortable with just even that, being having their facts challenged 
And John, how many times, and I'm sure Joe too, Joe's been a Mason longer than you and I both. And I only can imagine, Joe, you've got to have some great insight here. Uh, I'm, I'm coming at you cold, so sorry. Wait me. But we have this high, we have this idea of, of reconciliation, right? Like when we witness how something is and then we learn something new, we have to reconcile uh, somehow. Uh, to stay active, to stay on the path when it is so damn easy to just say to hell with it. I'm stepping off. I'm going to, I'm going to schedule a, a, a Monday night football thing and just forget all about this and walk away because reconciliation is daunting. It's uncomfortable. It's challenging and it's not convenient at all. So, that's really apropos because I there was a point in my Masonic career, and I've spoken about it, where I did say, screw it all. I was like, I got better things to do. Bye. I ain't got time for this anymore. And I went back in the cave. And I said, the cave is cool. It's always cool. Doesn't burn my eyes. And um, it's a happy place. So do I know there's more? Yeah. But exactly to your point, I'm comfy and cozy, and this is where I need to be. But obviously, I didn't stay there very long. And uh, again, I think I I think that we we make that conscious choice to to live outside of the cave, and that's why it's that's why we're all stressed out all the time. That's why we drink too much coffee, and that's why <laughs> that's why they have very happy and wonderful medications out there for for people that struggle knowing that there's more. And I think that's the, the difference between a seeker and someone who just lives and consumes and, and, you know, exists in the world, right? We know that there's something more and it, I guess you could say it makes us sad that we can't see it or know it or touch it or feel it. Right. But we know it's there and we, we try our damnedest to, to walk that path in search of it, whatever it may be for each particular person, you know? So it's, it's kind of melancholy, right? But I think it's necessary for, for some, not for all. If it was for all, then the world would be a much cooler place. Love it. Yeah. That, that's a, you nailed it pretty well. And that's probably a good place to, to transition off. So uh, question of the week as it relates to this is what's been your personal application of the allegory of the cave right how have you seen it applied applied it yourself how have you experienced it um and, and internalized it so i'll give you i'll give you a second to think about that and making sure that robert doesn't steal joe's idea i'm gonna let <laughs> joe go first i don't think you will um yeah so i i think that for me, one of my big defining cave moments was uh, as, as I struggled through faith and belief uh, over the course of about a decade, um, I'd say into my, you know, from my early 20s into my early 30s, um, the allegory of the cave for me was wrestling with what I understood faith and belief to be. And I'd say it was for a good few years, I struggled with it. I didn't understand or agree with what other people told me. And I thought that there had to be a different way or a better way. Um, but basically a long way to say that it took me 10 years to figure out that um, both faith and belief are 
a very personal thing and that's okay. And it doesn't have to fit inside the little constructs that, that have been placed before us. And once I realized that that's okay and it's, it's an okay way to live, then I didn't feel constricted and I didn't feel tortured and I didn't feel pain by it anymore. Um, I could live my life through the, the glasses that I, I thought were placed in front of me. And I can't say it's made life easier, but um, I'm definitely a lot more at peace than I was. I, I don't struggle with things like I used to. Um, you know, my receding hairline aside, I don't struggle with those thoughts and those things the way that I used to. Um, yeah, it was bad, you know, and I'm, I'm here in my 40s now. And I can tell you in my 20s, it was it was rough. Um, you know, even though I was younger and skinnier and faster and more dashing and I had all that awesome hair that you see on Facebook. Um, no, it was it was rough. And I would not want to go through that again. So, um, you know, for that, I'm definitely not going back in the cave. But yeah, that's that's my that's my cave story. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. All right. Over to Robert. What's your personal cave story? You know, it's, it's probably, it's probably a cooler story to talk about something like why I didn't want to go to craft beer and instead just wanted to continue to drink Pabst Blue Ribbon. I'm just kidding. I hate, I hate Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> I've never liked it. And if uh, you like it, you're a hipster and uh, don't just unfriend me on Facebook right now. Um, I think uh, it, it touches, I think, on, on what Joe was talking about, the idea of faith and religion and sort of spirituality as it is uh, for me. I had a reconciliation problem, which is uh, I grew up Roman Catholic. Uh, then I went through a Lutheran Academy uh, and then having this large basis in, in uh, I don't know what you want to call it. Like it's religious training, um, but at the level that is supposed to be for people my age. Right. And so uh, after a spell, I found that I just like my mom was a Democrat. And so I was a young Republican, right? I had this teenage angst and I was like, basically, I didn't really know what an atheist was, but I was like, God's not real, right? That's just some made up stuff for you to feel better about the afterlife and to get you through life without freaking out, right? got to have hope in something. Otherwise, you know, what's the meaning of it all? And then I got into, I, I read some philosophy books. One was an essay book, a book of essays called Why Nothing Can Travel Faster Than Light and a bunch of other essays or something. And um, in this book, it proposed something very interesting that is actually a, a, a wonderful TikTok video that Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, recently had posted, which I thought was interesting because he's bringing up, bringing up this thing that was inside of a book that I read, you know, in 1997. Um, and he basically says that the entire number of people that have ever existed uh is about a hundred billion and the possible number of gene combinations to make a human being is so much bigger than this that the fact that any of us exist right now 
is in a huge contrast to the amount of people who will never exist. I saw that one. Yeah. Yeah. And so this speaks to, well, I don't care how you want to think about it, but it is miraculous, right? The probability is there. And so my issue was that I then went into a, a, a bit of agnosticism and then I went into, I read too much Thomas Paine and became a deist and math is like this language for me, right? And it was this sort of beckoning that called to me from outside the cave. This was a language of sorts. My grandpa always said, you know, math is just a language uh, that we understand things in. And it really started clicking with me. And I started to have this problem about the law of probabilities. Um, and, and this is the, so re- this is reconciling something that I think most people won't identify with. This is very strange. It's very me. It's very like niche, but I couldn't wrap myself around the idea of mathematically uh, a God or a creator, us, and let's just call extrasolar um, biological entities, right? Like mathematically, they're supposed to be there. Aliens. Yeah. Aliens. Yeah. Um, Equation. Right, so the Drake equation, 50,000 possible in our own galaxy, right? Um, But it's actually much larger than that when you consider an equation that I wrote. But anyway, um, so this this was my Plato's cave. This was like, I I can't do it. I don't want to, I don't even want to think about it. This was like all the light news, the math and the the things I could think about outside. And then uh, I had to conquer that in order to knock at the door of my lodge, which uh, I think about every every day. Every damn day, I think, uh, if I hadn't have taken up the challenge of whiteboarding and journaling and thinking and challenging myself, like essentially to find God, right? My wife's family, they're all, you know, kind of in the evangelical Christian area. And they think I'm weird because I say I don't have any faith because I know, right? And I don't mean that to be condescending or right. like sound like a like an a-hole or anything. It's just a fact for me. And so once I knew, then I could earnestly knock at the lodge door. And so then the light of masonry assisted me in taking off from there. And, you know, the rest is meeting you guys and uh, you guys always dragging me out of the damn cave (laughs) (laughs) for some PBR. Man, I'm going to slap you. Let's Mm. let's do it. Green beans and PBR. Oh, my God. Dying of fire. I love it. Love it. You know what I love about it? I don't have a vice like you guys. So uh, let's let's figure this out. So for me, um, yeah, it's hard to follow Robert Sack there. But one thing that I, I, I take personally is that I've always been the the one to challenge the way it's always been done. I've always uh, through work, I like follow along, but then always ask why is it, why is it done this way? Or why can't we do it this other way? And there's a lot of roadblocks that you'll get, you'll get when you face, you know, when you, when you start to go down that path, right? You'll have <clears throat> other people in the cave with you going, you know, like shut up in color, just face the wall, 
You're not supposed to be asking these questions. And I think it's a, a moral duty to just continually just loosen that shackle just a little bit, just to question why do we still have these on until you get to the point where you break free. Right. And, um, that's, that's been done with my faith. It's been done with my profession. It's been done with like changing jobs. Like I changed, I changed almost careers during the pandemic. And that was a huge leap of faith, uh, where I said, there's, let me just try something different in order to, to see if I can adapt and to see if this is something else. Right. So Scott says here, I think the progressive line almost equates to a Plato's cave type transition as a brother learns how the organization actually works versus what it was when they joined. Right? This I just I put it up because it spoke to me when you were talking about how you have always kind of challenged the, right. the way it is, right? I, I have to chime in. That is so perfect because once you think you got it, then you get back down to the cave and all the grumpy past masters, they beat you with rocks until you're dead. <laughs> Throw another chain on, buddy. Let's get back in line. Bye. <laughs> Get, we, we've warmed your seat up come on in just just put these little shackles on buddy uh, that's funny that's funny that hurts <laughs> it's because it's so true oh man so this has been this has been a great episode um to explore our personal journeys to explore uh, the the allegory itself how how it can be interpreted how we've seen it come to light across uh our our respective masonic journeys as well so um, again, I want to thank thank all the brothers for chiming in. I want to thank all of you for watching. And most importantly, I want to thank all of you all for tuning in every week. So um, see you next week and keep searching for more light. Have a good night. Wow.